Good morning, everyone. Uh, go ahead and be, be getting to 2 Kings chapter 5, and that'll be the passage we'll be looking at this morning. That'll be 2 Kings chapter 5, and we'll be reading the first 14 verses of that chapter for our text this morning. But before I get started, I just want to say thank you for the opportunity to, to uh, come and be with you all again. Um, I know Josh said that I visited a couple of times because uh, just going back and home between uh, Lawrenceburg and, and Knoxville uh, during the holidays, it was, it was a good, good place to stop and, and uh, rest myself and also to uh, be encouraged spiritually on my way back to Knoxville. So I just wanted to say thank you all for that and you all have been very... Uh, very hospitable, and, and it's been good to, to see some old faces and some new faces uh, and, and to, to meet some new, new Christians. So in, in this passage here in 2 Kings chapter 5 is, is one of my favorite uh, accounts in the Bible, and it has one of my favorite characters in the Bible. And the, the reason why he is one of my favorite characters, he's a unique character because he's one of the few Gentiles that during this time in the Bible has had a miracle performed through him. And that man, that character, is Naaman. And this is also one of my favorite accounts and favorite stories because there's a lot going on politically in Israel. There's a lot going on spiritually in Israel that sets, sets the scene and sets the backdrop for, uh, for what's going on in this story in 2 Kings chapter 5. And throughout this story, we'll see three actions or attitudes that Naaman experiences throughout the story. The first one is desperation. Secondly, pride, and then finally, obedience. So, as we get into our, our before we get into our text this morning, just to offer a little bit of background, uh, Israel and, and Aram, or Syria as it's commonly known, have been at war since the time of Solomon. Over in 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 25, it says, So he was an adversary to Israel all the days of Solomon, along with the evil that Hadad did, and he abhorred Israel and reigned over Aram. It also says in 1 Kings chapter 22, verses 1 through 3, Three years had passed without war between Aram and Israel. In the third year, Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, came down to the king of Israel, who is Ahab. Now the king of Israel said to his servants, Do you know that Ramoth-Gilead belongs to us, and we are still doing nothing to take it? So if you look at the, uh, at the map that's above me, this area between Israel and Syria had been contested for many, many years uh, up to this point. And, you know, Assyria would, would take some of these cities and Israel would take them back. And so this area was, uh, was pillaged by, by Syria and, and, and people were taken back to Syria from this area. And as it says in, in the beginning of our passage, uh, since the death of, of Ahab, this area, uh, Naaman had actually gone into this area and, and, and had victories in this area. It says in 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1, Now Naaman, captain of the army of the king of Aram, was great with his master, highly respected, because by him the Lord had given victory to Aram. So we know that, that Naaman was, was victorious in Israel in, at this time in this area. Um, and also in this passage, it doesn't say who the kings of Israel or, or, or Aram or Syria are at this time. Uh, but it's likely Jehoram is the king of, of Israel at this time, and it's likely that Ben-Hadad is the king of Aram. So with that in mind, let's get into our passage this morning. Let's begin reading in 2 Kings uh, chapter, chapter 5. And uh, let's start there in verse 1. 
Now Naaman, captain of the army of the king of Aram, was a great man with his master, and highly respected, because by him the Lord had given victory to Aram. The man was a valiant warrior, but he was also a leper. Now the Arameans had gone out in bands and had taken captive a little girl from the land of Israel, and she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said to her mistress, I wish that my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria. Then he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went in and told his master, saying, Thus and thus spoke the girl who is from the land of Israel. So in these first four verses, we can see a little bit of the, uh, of the character of Naaman. Uh, the first thing is we see about him, he, he, is, very, he is at the top of his, his field. He's the captain of the army of the king of Aram. He's not just a captain in the army. He's not just a soldier in the army. But he's the captain of the king's army. Uh, and, and so we can see that he is, he is at the top of his field. But he's also a valiant warrior. He's not just at that position, but he's very, been very successful at that position. So he's not just someone that holds a high position, but someone that is very successful in that position. And I'd also contend that we, we see that uh, in verses 2 through 4 by this servant girl willing to help Naaman, that he was good to his servants. He was good to his slaves because uh, I could imagine someone that you work for, uh, you know, you, you want to you do good things for them, but someone that takes you from your family, takes you from everything you've known, and makes you, uh, uh, you know, forces you to work for them, and yet you still want to help them. Uh, potentially, Naaman was, was a good master to his servants. And uh, one of the other good things about Naaman, or one of the, the things about his character, is he, he listens to the counsel of those below him, of someone that we may not see as, as having a position of wisdom or a position to speak. Uh, it kind of reminds me of, of someone in our history, in our nation, that listened to his, his, uh, uh, those under his charge, and that was George Washington. There were numerous times that George Washington would put together a battle plan, and then his, gen- his uh, colonels and his generals underneath him would say, no, no, it's not going to work. And he would listen to them, and that's why uh, the, he was so victorious many times. But he had a, a physical element, but he had leprosy. All these things that are good about Naaman, that he has a really high position, he's a valiant warrior, he's a good master, and he, he uh, uses, has a, good, a decent character. Leprosy was bringing all of that down. And uh, this, this illness would have you know, taken him away from, from people. It would have taken him away from uh, his duty, or it would have hindered his duties as the, the, the captain of the king's army. And we don't know where Naaman got, got the leprosy from, but it, he could have gotten it from, from God. We see that Nebuchadnezzar uh, had a similar thing happen to him. Uh, the other Gentile, one of my other favorite characters in the Bible, that God punished him because of his pride, because he thought that uh, all the things that, that God had done through him were because of Nebuchadnezzar, and God showed him, no, it's because I let you do these things. And God also uh, used leprosy to punish people. Uh, he also punished Uzziah, uh, the king of Judah, because he offered sacrifices in the temple and because, says it because of his pride, as we'll see that Naaman has, has some issues with pride later on. So let's, uh, let's continue in, our, in our, uh, our reading here in verse 5. It says there in verse 5, Then the king of Aram said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. He departed and took with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothes. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, 
And now this letter comes to you. Behold, I have sent Naaman my servant to you, that you may cure him of his leprosy. So we see here that, you know, it's, it's, it seems like as soon as Naaman says, hey, I've, I've, I've heard that I can go to Israel and, and you know, get cured of this leprosy. Can you, can you help me out? And it just goes to show how, you know, how valuable Naaman was to, to his master, how valuable of a, uh, a warrior and a military leader that he was able to go to another nation, not just another nation, a nation that they were continually at war with to, to see if he could get him healed. But let's, uh, let's look at the, uh, the next two verses here. Verse 7, When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive, that this man is sending word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? But consider now he is seeking a quarrel against me. As we see in, in verse 7, you know, uh, the, the king of Israel, he, he thinks he's, he's got an impossible choice here. You know, I can't cure him. You know, he's, he's just sending him in here to, to survey the land and to, to, to take over, you know, take over more territory that, than he already has to, to, you know, to pillage more towns and to take more of our, our people and our resources. But Elisha doesn't see it this way. Look in verse 8. And it happened when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, that he sent word to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Now let him come to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. At, you know, you can compare the, the two uh, reactions, the two attitudes that the king of Israel had to this, you know, this seemingly physical terrible event. Uh, uh, terrible decision that the king of Israel was going to have to make uh, because he, he, he himself could not cure leprosy. Leprosy was uh, a disease that slowly you know, uh, killed people at this time. But Elisha says, I'm going to take this circumstance that, that physically looks terrible and looks like there's no good that can come out of it and I will make, I will make good come out of it for, uh, for, for the God of Israel. So let's keep reading in verses 9 through 12. So Naaman came with his horses and his chariots and stood at the doorway of the house of Elisha. Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh will be restored to you like a, or will be restored to you and you will be clean. So in verse 9 we can see that Naaman, he shows up with, you know, with all his chariots and his horsemen. And it, it would be a scene that we would liken to you know, a 4th of July parade. Or we would liken to uh, you know, a, a, military, a great military show of physical strength. You know, I think of the, the videos that you see of, of, of the Russians marching in, or the Chinese marching. All these many people. Um, and then they also have all the servants that were with Naaman. The ones that brought the goods and the, the, the train. So it, it would be a, a sight to behold if you were... You know, a farmer or someone that was nearby watching these, these men uh, go down the road to go visit Naaman's house, it'd be something that, to talk about. It'd be something, uh, a sight to behold. And Elisha sends out this servant, and he offers him a cure and says, this is, this is what you got to do, right? And, and let's see what, what Naaman says, his, Naaman, uh, his reaction to this in verse 11. But Naaman was furious and went away, and behold, I thought... He will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abna and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than the waters of Israel? 
Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. So Naaman has all these excuses for you know, why, why, he can't, why he can't be healed of his leprosy. He says, I thought, I thought it was going to be a, a, you know, a, a grand show. I brought all this food. I came all this way. I did all these things. I was willing to do anything that you would ask me to to, uh, you know, to cure myself of this leprosy. And yet you're giving me this, this cure that I don't, I don't think is, is, is going to work. And there was no fanfare. You know, I'm the king of the captain, or, or I'm the captain of the, of the king's army of, the, of Aram. I, you know, I, I should, I should have to, you know, have something like, uh, like what happened uh, with with Elijah and the prophets of Baal, and fire come down from heaven, and it be this great thing that I can proclaim to everyone. And, and he, you know, his pride just made him feel disrespected here, and he let that, uh, he let that cloud his mind and cloud his thoughts. And, you know, he, from a physical standpoint, he does have a point. The Jordan River is not a very clean river. Uh, I'm, I'm a civil engineer, and I deal with water. And we would we would say that this uh, this water has a high TSS. It has a high total suspended solids. It's got a bunch of mud in it, and it would probably stink. And and you know you you wouldn't want you wouldn't be somewhere physically where you would go and be cleaned by the water there. Um, you would actually probably better off not getting in the water at all uh, to stay clean or to not not be smelly. So it, none of this was what Naaman's expecting. Naaman. Thought he had his own mindset of what of what God uh, could do for him, and and he thought that you know the the rivers in Damascus uh, these are better you know my way I, I I know there are rivers that are better that are better to be cleaned in than than the rivers of Israel. Doesn't that sound familiar? And he went away enraged. He was blinded the whole reason he was even there. And if he stays in this mindset, he will die from his leprosy. He came all this way. He did all this stuff. I mean, he, you know, he, he called in all these favors. He was going to pay all this money. He, he went to his mortal enemy that they had been fighting with. You know, it'd be, it, it would be similar to if during the Cold War, you know, we went over to Russia and said, hey, can you heal this top general of ours or this top scientist of ours? Because we know you have a cure for whatever disease he has. This is, you know, he's, he's doing all these things that, one would think would stop him from, from being healed, but the thing at the end of the day that keeps him from being healed is his own pride. And he had completely taken control. It had restricted his vision. It had restricted his thinking process. Just like this morning, I, I thought it was very uh, appropriate that uh, we were in Revelation chapter 9 and, and Danny was talking about the, the, the Jews that were uh, seditious and they, they just... They had this mindset of they were going to do what they wanted to do, regardless of the consequences. And pride does the same thing to Naaman here. But let's look at verses 13 and 14. And the, the, the passage takes a, a, a good turn, I would say. Then his servants came near to him and spoke to him and said, My father had the prophet told you to do some great thing. Would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to you, Wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like that of what it was before he, was, before he had leprosy. No, it says like that of a little child, and he was clean. Remember that, because that is important, brethren. That is important to, to remember. So looking at verse 13, wisdom prevails. He listens to his servants, you know, in the first place to come here anyway. 
And then why wouldn't he listen to his servants again? So the, the positive, positive character about Naaman helps him out in the end. You know, why, why don't you want to be healed? Is your pride worth dying for? You know, it, you know if, he, if he had, had just said, this is, this is nonsense, I'm not, I'm not going to do this, he would have died of his leprosy. And, you know, the whole reason he's here is because of the slave girl from, from Israel. Why wouldn't he listen to his other slaves? So in verse 14, Naaman obeys. He dips seven times and his flesh is healed better like that of a little child. I could imagine, you know, Naaman being the warrior that he is, he probably wasn't always the captain of the army. He probably was, you know, a soldier that fought quite a bit. And he probably had scars and bruises and, and all kinds of, you know, callus from, from those events. And, you know, I, I think about my, my father. He, he grew up on a farm and was worked on a farm his whole life. And his hands are almost like sandpaper. I think that if he rubbed his hands on this pulpit here, he could sand it down to about an eighth of an inch. Uh, but I, I think Naaman was the same way. And, you know, it doesn't say that his, his leprosy was healed and it was, he was like somebody his age. His skin was like that of a child. It was perfect. It was not anyone that was alive at that time would have had skin like Naaman. But his physical condition was unique. So now that we, we've read the passage here, that we've read the story, let's, let's take some application from this. So Naaman at the beginning was desperate. He had a physically incurable disease. And without Christ, we have a spiritually incurable disease. Turn over to Romans chapter 23, or sorry, chapter 3, verse 23. It says there, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And if we also look at Romans chapter 6, verse 23, it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. So if all have sinned and the wages of sin is death, then all will face a spiritual death if we don't seek out a way to be healed, if we don't look for a way to be healed. How desperate are we to, rem to be healed? Naaman was willing to go do all of these things, to go to a foreign country that they were at war with, to pay a lot of money, to, you know, uh, to listen to a servant girl. To do, you know, he was willing to do a lot of things to be, to be healed. He was very desperate. Are we desperate? Uh, turn over to Mark chapter 9, there verses 45 through 40 and 47. Jesus, Jesus says, If your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. For it is better for you to enter life lame than having two feet and to be cast into hell. If your eye causes you to stumble, throw it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes and be cast into hell. I don't believe Jesus is advocating for physical mutilation here, but his point is, is still very valid that nothing physical should keep us from serving God. We should be able to take the things that we recognize that are causing us to to be distracted from God or to sin and to remove those things from our life because it's better to not enjoy the benefits of those things that cause us to sin and, and enter hell. So, you know, how, how much money or goods would we be willing to be given up to be healed? Will we ask our mortal enemy for help? Uh, will we listen to someone who may not expect to have the answers? And when we call in all of our favors, I think about, you know, uh, did, did Naaman have any, you know, it doesn't say that he had any hes hesitation asking his master to go to a foreign country to, uh, uh, to help himself be healed. Do we 
expend all of our resources in order for us to be spiritually healed. And the, the second emotion, or the second uh, uh, action that he goes through is pride. And, and uh, you know, what, what keeps us from putting off sin? For Naaman, it was pride, but, but for us, it could be any number of things. Turn over to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, in verse 6 is through 8, it says, For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace, because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is even not able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Naaman, when he first heard how he was going to be healed, his mind was, was not in subjection to God. It was still on the flesh. It was still on earthly things. He wasn't looking to God. He didn't have that perspective that he had later. And so it caused him to, 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 reject, God's, uh, to, to reject God's gracious gift of, of, of a physical healing uh, for him. And it could be the same thing for us today. Uh, you know, what about riches? Are we, are we unwilling to give up riches? I think of the rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10. Uh, and we'll read, read that uh, very quickly. It says there in Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 22, it says, As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked, Good, te- good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. And he said to him, Lord, I have ke- or teacher, I have kept all these things from my youth up. And looking at him, Jesus felt love for him and said to him, One thing you lack, go and sell all your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. But at these words he was saddened and went away grieving, for he owned much property. It wasn't that this man, the fact that this man owned property wasn't the issue. It was the fact that these, these, this property that he had he loved it so much, he grasped it so tightly that he would not fully commit to being a Christian. He would not fully commit to following Jesus. And we can fall into that same trap today as well. Is it, is it time? Is time something that we're unwilling to give up to, be, to fully uh, commit to being a Christian? Look at Luke chapter 14, verses 16 through 24. And we'll start, we'll start there in verse 16. But he said to them, a man was giving a big dinner, and he invited many. And at the dinner hour, he sent his slave to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is ready now. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I bought a piece of land, and I need to go out and look at it. Please consider me excused. Another one said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm going to try them out. Please consider me excused. Another one said, I have married a wife, and for that reason I cannot come. And the slave came back and reported to his master, then the head of the household became angry and said to his slave, Go out at once into the seats and the streets and the lanes of the city, and bring in here the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And the slave said, Master, what you have commanded has been done, and there is still room. And the master said to the slave, Go out into the highways, along the hedges, and compel them to come in, so that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited first shall taste of my dinner. So Jesus here is, is making the, the comparison to these things that distract us uh, for time. Are we willing to put in the time to, 
to be Christians fully? Or, or are we letting these, you know, these things like work or these things like sports or these commitments that we've made that are, you know, they may be, you know, okay in their own right, but they're taking away from our service to God and, and are distracting us from our service to God. What about expectations? You know, this is the one that, that uh, one of the ones that Naaman had. Uh, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 22. It says there uh, that, For indeed Jews ask for signs, and Greeks search for wisdom. Uh, Naaman had, you know, probably had his own ideas, or he had his own ideas of what this healing would be like. It would be something that, you know, would be magnificent and something that would boost his, uh, you know, his status or, you know, make him seem like someone that's, that's great. But when, you know, uh, Elisha sends out a servant, he doesn't even come out and talk to him. You know, that would, uh, you know, many of us might, might even think that would be disrespectful. But, but Elisha is trying to prove a point to Naaman that, you know, the power is not in Elisha, it's in God. And the same thing is true of us today. The power is not in me, it's not in Josh, it's not in anyone that's a Christian. The power is in the gospel. And we need to, we need to make sure that we understand that and that we are teaching the gospel. And is it our own pride, or the pride of life? In, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, it says this, For all that is in the world is the lust of flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. It is not from the Father, but it's from the world. So all of, all, you know, uh, Naaman, if he, if he continued in his pride, you know, that, that point of, of pride, you know, probably lasted moments, if not minutes. Uh, and yet he was willing... Uh, that pride was restricting his view so much that he would spend the rest of his life uh, with leprosy and die a horrible physical death just because of that short moment of pride. And we can do the same thing today with our lives if we let pride keep us from heaven. Uh, even if we spend the rest of our lives here in that pride, it's, it's only a short amount. of It's not even comparable to the uh, eternal destination that we will be in if we, if we continue in that. Um, and all of these things will pass away. Uh, money, time, you know, expectations, even our own pride, all these things will pass away, but God's kingdom and His faithful will remain. If we look at uh, 1 John chapter 2, verse 17, it says this, The world is passing away, and also its lusts, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. So let's look at the last application here from this passage. Uh, obedience. Uh, obedience gives us access uh, to to God's to the salvation of God, the gracious salvation of God. Look at First John one six through nine. First John one six through nine. It says, "If we have fellowship with Him, and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin." If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If this passage shows us anything, it's not enough to just know. It's not enough to, just ha- to, to believe and to have faith, but we have to be obedient. We have to walk. We have to be living continually as a Christian. It's not just something that we get up here and you know, we're baptized and, and then we're done and then we can do whatever we want. That's not what this passage says. Walking you know, is, is a, a continual thing. It's a thing that should go throughout our lives. And you know, uh, let's look at another uh, uh, 
example of obedience in, in the Old Testament. One of my other favorite Bible characters is Saul, uh, the King Saul in, in 1 Samuel. Um, and before we, we read this passage, be turning to 1 Samuel chapter 15. Before we read this passage, just a little bit of background. Uh, God had told Saul to go and utterly destroy the Amalekites. Everything, not just you know, the, the warriors or the, the, the men, but the men, the women, the children, the animals, the materials, everything. Nothing was supposed to be left. And what do we see in uh, uh, verse 21? You know, Samuel comes up and he says, Saul, you know, I hear, I hear oxen baying and I hear sheep bleeding. And, you know, what, what's going on? I thought you were supposed to kill all these, these things. And this is Saul's response. But the people took some of the spoil, sheep and oxen, and choices of things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God at Gilgal. And Samuel said, Has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than to sacrifice. And to heed, that means to listen and to do than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination, and insubordination is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, He has rejected you from being king. So we see that uh, this, this mentality of, of, you know, I think my way is better is not right. Naaman had it. Saul had it. And God condemns that. God condemns whenever we think uh, we are, you know, our way is better than God's way. And we need to be careful that we're not speaking for God, that we're not putting our own justifications of what we want. You know, we, we want someone to be uh, that we, we, we love or that has passed on to, to be okay, to be, uh, you know, uh, uh, to be saved. And we compromise our faith because of that. And, and God says that's not acceptable here. The last, the last point of this, uh, let's turn over to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. As obedience changes us, and we can see that here uh, with 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 Paul in Romans chapter 12. It says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and perfect and acceptable. You know, Naaman, after he was healed, Anyone that knew Naaman before he was healed of his leprosy would recognize that he looked different. There was something different about him. His skin did, it looked much better. The scars that were on his hands weren't there anymore. You know, whatever, uh, you know, he may have had some, you know, some, uh, some liver spots or something, you know, some other uh, skin blemish that was not there anymore. And so he would be a proof of God's power that there is a, a prophet in Israel to anyone that knew him before and to anyone that saw him after. And the same thing is, is true, it should be true of Christians. Uh, we should, we should, people should be able to see Jesus in us and should be able to see that we don't act uh, the same way as people of the world. We don't act like we used to or do things of the world. So the, the, the last thing uh, that, that we'll talk about here, uh, the last passage we'll read is in 1 John chapter 5, verses 11 and 12. Uh, the testimony is this, 
that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son does not have the life. The world can't give us eternal life. All of Naaman's experience up to that point told him that what God had told him to do to dip in the Jordan River seven times was foolishness. The world would say that us being here this morning is foolishness. But we know better. We know that through God is the only way to, to gain eternal life. So let's not let the things that are around us distract us. Let's not let any disease, let's not let any political party, let's not let any job or any family member or any, any physical thing keep us distracted from doing what is right. So to conclude today, without God, we are sick, whether we realize it or not. And the only way to be cured is to listen, to believe, and to obey His will by following the plan of salvation. Knowing is not everything. We have to act. Naaman would have succumbed to his leprosy had he not obeyed God's command. And all who do not obey God will suffer something even more gruesome than a physical death, an eternity away from God and eternal damnation. If there are any Christians here today that uh, have that have fallen away or that haven't committed themselves fully to being a Christian, uh, please come forward and, you know, and, and, and we can help you. And, you know, maybe you don't have to talk to me or talk to Josh or, you know, just talk to somebody about what you're going through. Uh, we can help you. Don't be afraid to, to tell somebody that you're experiencing uh, spiritual woes because those, those things are what's important, not, not what you did as much as you willing to come back. But if you're not a Christian, the plan of salvation is laid before you. To hear, to believe, to repent, to confess and be baptized and remain faithful unto death. If there's anything we can do, please come as we stand and as we sing.